Well, as we have mentioned a few times, we are turning to a um, a new page in the Psalter. If you look in your pew Bibles, um, I believe our Old Testament uh, lesson can be found on page 496. You see a, a little tiny bit of type there, uh, book four. So we're, we're starting a new book. Um, it's a part of a collection, uh, not a trilogy. It's a part of a five-book series. It's sort of like, you know, you're finally turning to the next book in the Lord of the Rings or, or whatever your favorite series is. So this is book four of five. And so even though it's a new book, it has ties to what has come before. And uh, it introduces a new story. We've been singing of Moses, and this is a prayer of Moses. Um, there are many different psalms in this book four, which runs from Psalm 90 to Psalm 106. But Moses is an important theme. Uh, he opens the book in Psalm 90, and in Psalm 106, his uh, name is mentioned three times. And his name is mentioned only eight times in the whole Psalter, but seven of those times are in book four. So as we saw last week, book three comes to a crashing end with a lot of trials and sorrows among the people of God as the Davidic promises seem to be shattered in the difficulty of the exile. But book four looks back to God's promises and to Moses as an antidote to these trials. And so I pray that we can learn um, the thesis of this psalm is that there is a biblical wisdom, a uniquely gospel wisdom. To how we keep time. How we number our years. And we can compare and contrast this with human wisdom. As you'll see in our outline. We want to look at the wisdom of man. And the wisdom of the law. And the wisdom of the gospel. This is God's holy word. Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses. The man of God. Lord you have been our dwelling place. In all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight, or but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, and they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. For you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy. Or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone. And we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days. That we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long. Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us. In the morning with your steadfast love. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And as for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants. And your glorious power to their children. 
Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's far the reading of God's holy word. Join me in the prayer of illumination found in our bulletin. Our Father, we have heard wonderful things out of thy word. We praise you for revealing Christ by promise and shadow in these pages. Help us to understand these words for thy name's sake. Amen. Well, we have an outline in our worship bulletin, and I want to proceed um, kind of uh, more thematically through this text, looking at uh, how it might be read as reflecting common wisdom of man, um, but how it, it urges us to go a little bit deeper and further into God's wisdom and the wisdom of God's law. And then finally, the wisdom of the gospel. Well, the year is 2023, so I presume you are all familiar with the concept of mindfulness. Mindfulness uh, can be defined as being conscious or aware, being mindful of something. And uh, it's common in a uh, lot of sort of self-care and wellness. It's used in meditation. It's a mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations. And it's used as a therapeutic technique. So maybe you've engaged in mindfulness or practiced it. Um, we live in a therapeutic age, and so it's, it's in the air if you've ever gone to a, a yoga class or uh, done a lot of different uh, self-exploratory practices. And it's, it's something of a, of a rebranding of what was kind of new in the 60s, right? Meditation, transcendental meditation, which happened with the assistance of a lot of uh, mind-altering uh, chemicals. Timothy Leary, turn on, tune in, and drop out. And of course, when, when the waves of sort of meditation and mindfulness washed over the U.S. In, uh, in the 60s, a lot of Christians saw this as uh, a foreign sort of Eastern thing that was in some ways godless. And it can be, indeed. Um, a lot of people uh, oppose meditation. You know, when I, when I go to a yoga class and I have, I, I usually try to say prayers or scripture while they're telling me to chant uh, mindless thoughts, right? Uh, there's a truth uh, to, to mindfulness um, but in many ways, the, the Eastern version of mindfulness encourages us to, to conceptualize ourselves as a part of a whole, as a part of a one, right? And the fundamental Christian belief is not that all is one, but that all is in a sense two. There's a creator and the creation. Biblical wisdom does call us to be mindful. That's what we see here in Psalm 90. But it calls us to a uniquely biblical Mindfulness. And one of the ways that we are to think God's thoughts after Him, to renew our minds, is to set our minds on things above. It is a mindfulness of time and the passage of time. We are to consider our beginning and our end, our maker and our judge. The preacher of the book of Ecclesiastes, it was our our um, reading uh, last week. We have a reading guide in the bulletin each week to help prepare for this meditation on God's word. The preacher of Ecclesiastes teaches us to remember that there is for everything a season and a time for every matter of heaven. A time to be born. A time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up 
what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh. And in one sense, we can come to Psalm 90 and read it like a TED Talk. There's a lot of human wisdom in Psalm 90. And there were ancient philosophers, Stoics, Cicero, Marcus Aurelius, who reflected on the fleetingness of time, the brevity of life. Uh, The art historians in the room might be familiar with the idea of the memory, the meditation upon death, memento mori. I could have a skull sitting here, maybe an hourglass in the last few dwindling uh, sands, a candle burning down to a stub. But again, Psalm 90 pushes us to go further. And what I want to do here is, is mark what we share in common with human wisdom. Because a lot of biblical wisdom is in common with the wisdom of the world, what we can learn from the world. But then press on to the wisdom of God's law, which is uniquely taught here in God's gospel in Psalm 90. So uh, the first point in the outline is a little bit cryptic, uh, the wisdom of man. And I put a website in there. And a few of you have probably already gone and checked it out, just knowing who you, who you are. 4kweeks.com, 4,000 weeks. And I've been hearing this recently on a lot of podcasts I listen to. Um, 4,000 weeks is the idea that an average uh, Western lifespan is about 88 years. Speaking a little optimistically. 4,576 weeks. And the 4K Weeks movement uh, uses as a tool of mindfulness uh, a map. So if you go to the website, you read, Life is too short to live on autopilot. Map your journey, right? And uh, you can order a poster, and I confess I've ordered the poster. I don't have it yet. I don't get a referral fee or anything. You order the poster, and a poster has 4,576 little boxes lined up in 88 years. And they're colored in as you go. And the work of mindfulness is each Monday or each week, marking another week, encountering and, and treasuring this gift of a life, gift of time on earth. Why would you hang such a poster in your bedroom or office? Funny you should ask. The website asks too. Destroy procrastination in one look. A new habit will change your life. Accomplish all your long-term goals. All you need is a poster. There's a lot of wisdom in this. If you want to get really morbid, you can buy the fade to black version. It's printed white on black, so as you fill in the squares, the thing just turns into a black sheet of paper hanging on your wall. It's just little dwindling pieces of white at the bottom. Now, there's nothing new in this. This is a repackaging of old wisdom. There's so much of mindfulness and yoga and, and the world throws up at us. I, I mentioned Marcus Aurelius. He has a number of wonderful quotes on this topic. Alexander the Great and his mule driver both died, and the same thing happened to both. They were absorbed alike into the life force of the world or dissolved alike into atoms. This is common human wisdom accessible to all. There's nothing Christian about it. Yet a Christian can benefit from it. There's nothing wrong with being mindful about the brevity of life. See the book of Ecclesiastes. See Proverbs. 
This is how wisdom, biblical wisdom works. We can share it in part with unbelievers. And Psalm 90 has, has many such reminders for us. The psalm ponders God and eternity. Before the mountains were brought forth from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. There's a, a movement now, I don't endorse it at all, and I haven't ordered any uh, of these, uh, but there's a movement of using psychedelics. Obviously, again, old, what's old is new again, right? And the idea, if you listen to people talk about a psychedelic experience, they drift away and their individual person fades and they become a part of the big and the whole, right? And so Psalm 90 starts here. God is everlasting. From age to age, from eternity. The psalm ponders death in a powerful way. You return man to dust. They're like a dream, like grass that flourishes in the morning and fades in the evening. Our years are brought to an end with a sigh. The years of our life are 70 by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. Both Alexander and his mule driver died. Indeed, the first 12 verses uh, are basically a wisdom song. And it closes, it could be a self-contained psalm, it closes, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So go buy a 4K poster, hang it on your wall. Be more mindful. Now, here's the thing. We want to uh, be shrewd as we use the wisdom of the world. But believers, as I said, can apply this man-made wisdom. And as I was just speaking with Reese before the service, to have in his family a grandfather die and a new baby, a great-grandchild be born, right? It's the way of life. The, the circularity of life. The cyclical nature of life. But... Um, there's an application here for parents and for new parents. Um, if you look at that map of weeks, 4,000 weeks, there are about 936 of them where that little baby lives in your home. Where we're charged with the opportunity to raise up a child in the way he should go, to train them up in the way of the Lord. And as uh, we started this church in 2007, shortly after my daughter was born, I've sort of watched the church and my daughter grow up together in many ways. And I'm always reminded how quickly this has uh, passed. How quickly it has passed. We're in the last, the last hundred weeks of her at home before she heads off to college. Well, we hope it's the last hundred weeks, right? And like you want that to happen. But we can learn and we should learn from the wisdom of the world. Let me turn to our second point though, because that's not all our psalm has. And if, if you read our psalm as life is short, you're really missing the heart of the message. And I think it's useful for us to compare biblical wisdom with the wisdom of the world. The human wisdom of 4,000 weeks isn't false, but it is incomplete. Uh, one of the lines on the website says, death is the ultimate deadline. If you have trouble getting stuff done, you're going to die one day, so get it done. But it doesn't explain death. It doesn't explain the sting of death. It doesn't teach us that death is the great and last enemy. Every race against this deadline will be a losing one. And ultimately, in its superficiality, in the incompleteness of the poster, this human wisdom is deceptive. It must tell a lie about death to make it palatable and bearable. Because death is really an unbearable thing. Jesus wept. And the great uh, theologian, Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield, wrote an essay on that two-word 
verse of scripture where he said, this is a horrible translation. (laughs) Jesus raged. That's why it's called the emotional life of our Lord. And it's never more fully on display than in the face of death. The mindfulness movement tells us you can pack enough meaning into your 4,000 weeks to make it all worth it. To make more lo- life more lovely than death is ugly. But Psalm 90 urges us to be more mindful. To consider not only the cosmos as an infinite reality, but God, its maker, and its purpose. Psalm 90 opens and closes uh, with these brackets. With faith in the Lord, Adonai. Who is the creator? Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. In a world of chaos and flux where all is changed, there is a fixed point. And Psalm 90 tells us that death is not natural. It's not God's design. And it's not good. God, the creator, is the one who has consigned us to the grave. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. The Hebrew here reads, children of Adam, biblical word for man, bringing our minds back to Genesis 3. It is God's decree, his verdict spoken that returns man to dust. The wages of sin is death. Unstated, but presumed is the idea that man's source is the dust. We go back to where we came from. It seems like sort of a natural cycle of recurrence. But there's a creator who calls us into being for a higher purpose. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's a curse. That's not a blessing. That's not the way things were supposed to go. And so there's an allusion to to Genesis 3 here, but there's a key difference. The word for dust is different, and it really emphasizes the crushing power, the grinding of us into dust by life and by the curse. The story of the fall and our sin is here. Notice it's also here in the flooding rain. We are washed away like a flood. Genesis 7. Our lifespan is so short, like grass that... Springs up, And again, it's common for human wisdom just to think of the cyclical nature of history, the cyclical nature of time. The seasons come and go. We're just a part of a whole. You know, I love the hospice care movement. My my father and my father-in-law both died in their own homes with the support of hospice care. It's It's a wonderful thing. But hospice care generally participates of a pretty godless theology where they emphasize the ease. They want to de-emphasize the pain of death. And they don't have the gospel. They can't use the gospel. Some of them have the gospel, obviously. But they de-emphasize the pain of death by saying it's just natural. It's like, it's like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And your father's flying off. That's a lie. That's a lie. The cycle here, the sprouting of grass and its daily dying poetically really emphasizes that life is nothing but a constant dying. It's not a positive. It's not a focus on the renewal. We are brought to an end by God's anger. We are dismayed by his wrath. And this idea of God's anger and wrath against sin, against our sin, is one of the things that makes death so terrifying. 
That's why it's frightful and scary. If it, was, if it was normal, we wouldn't be as terrified of it as we are. I was talking to Richard this week about his brother's passing. And I said, I'm sorry. You know, I know it's hard when you think of your brother's death. He said, it's not hard to think of my brother's death. It's just that I'm thinking of my own death. That's why we grieve at a grave. Because we know it's the ultimate deadline. Not only is life short, but it's our sin that makes it short. It's our fault. Guilt and shame haunt us. If we read the first 12 verses of our psalm properly, both verse 11 and 12 form its conclusion and its climax. These verses are the center of our psalm, of the full psalm, and we'll see that they are a pivot point and a crux to part 3. The conclusion, the argument of verses 3 through 12 is driven home. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Remember what the book of Proverbs teaches us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's what Moses is talking about here. It's not merely the numbering of days that gives us wisdom. It's the fear of the Lord and understanding his anger and wrath for sin. The word used here for numbering really could probably better be translated as weigh or consider. It's not just counting. Weigh the significance of these short numbered days. It's the fear of the Lord. In the words of our catechism, the first thing you must know to live and die in the joy of Christian comfort is how great your sins and misery are. Not just a concessive like, yeah, I'm a sinner, nobody's perfect. But how angry God really is with you in your sin. And here briefly, I'll ask you to cast your minds back to what we've been looking at, Psalm 89 in book 3. God's people are under his curse, they're in judgment and exile, the Davidic promise is broken. And why? Because of the greatness of Israel's sin. And Psalm 90 answers the cry of Psalm 89. How long, O Lord? By saying, a thousand years are as a day. God is patient. This is the wisdom of God's law. No poster, no technique can save you. You can't defeat death on your own. The wisdom of the world and even God's law says, do, do, do. If you do enough, everything will be okay. You can fix it. You got this. No, you have to let go. You have to acknowledge that we are powerless under the common curse. But here's the good news, brothers and sisters. And the third point here is that the law, the verdict of God does not have the last word for believers in Jesus Christ. The verdict of law is overcome with the justifying word of God's grace in Christ. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. As a piece of wisdom instruction, Psalm 90 could end at verse 12. Teach us to number our days. But it doesn't. It doesn't stop with God's law. Instead, Moses' prayer cries out to the Lord with a request. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. This is the only time in our psalm that the name of the Lord Yahweh is used. That name which means mercy and steadfast love. 
And it explicitly picks up on the opening of the first half of the psalm where Moses had reminded us of God's verdict on our sin. Return to dust. God says, return, O children of Adam. God in his wrath and his justice returns man to the dust of the earth. But here, Moses is calling upon God to turn away from his wrath. To have pity. To relent in his anger. This is extremely rare in the Bible. Only twice is this verb, to have pity or relent, used with reference to God. Only twice. I guess three if we count this book. Three. Two other times. That's what I meant. In, in the book of Amos, and there God repents, he relents of his wrath. But also in Exodus chapter 32, when Moses descends the mountain. And the episode of the golden calf. And Exodus, Moses' prayer in Exodus, is the only time in the Bible that a man, a human being, asks God to have pity and relents. And God responds by having pity and relents. Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Fear the Lord, know his anger. Whom you have brought out of the land. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent he brought them out to kill them? Turn. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster. Remember. Where does he point them to? Remember Abraham, Isaac, your servants. Your servants. That comes up in this psalm as well. To whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land I've promised and I will give to them. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing to his people. Moses is a perfect type of Christ. Moses here is Jesus standing in the gap between an angry, wrathful God and a sinful people. And this is why Psalm 90 is a Moses psalm, a prayer of Moses, a man of God. Because Moses has considered the power of God's anger and his wrath. He knows that our only hope is mercy. Our only hope is if he forgets, blots out our transgressions. The wisdom of man, the wisdom of God's law, both boil down to try harder. Maybe next time. Good effort. But Moses says... God, you satisfy us. You satisfy us in the morning. Do you see the, the same language of morning in the first part and the second part? The, the whole second part of this psalm is a reversal of the first part. It's how the law and God's mercy reverses his justice and wrath. Romans 5 says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. God's covenant, steadfast love fills us and satisfies us. And satisfied in the morning, starting the new day, not with our own renewal, our own strength. You know, if you make your bed first thing in the morning, you're going to have a much more successful day. And there's a book about that. Some general wrote it. Psalm 90 says, start with God's steadfast love. God loves you. You're his precious covenant child. Not the fear of the threats of the law's condemnation. Instead, all of our days picks up the language of all of our days. Instead of them passing away under God's wrath, Moses realizes that as a recipient of God's love freely given, we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. They could be full of toil and trouble, but we can still be glad. 
When we start with the gospel, we have nothing to fear. We confess our weakness. We confess our iniquities. We rejoice that God has shown favor to his sinful people before. Not on the basis of what they deserve. Psalm 103, we sung, God looks at us not on the basis of our demerits. But on the basis of what he has promised, his covenant with Abraham, which the book of Hebrews and Exodus 32 says he swore by himself because there was no one higher he could swear by. It's a promise. Take it to the bank. And on the basis of his mighty works of deliverance, are we loved and fulfilled and satisfied? The span of our life is only toil and trouble, but God establishes the work of our hands. Yeah, we live under the common curse. Friday never comes around with the to-do list perfectly done. Never, never, ever, ever. When Senator Sass was here, he used this image. We live under the curse of 666. That's what politics is like. That's what the world is like. But we live under the blessing of 777, of perfection. It is finished. Psalm 88 and 89 raise the problem of generations living without seeing God's blessings. God, I just got here to Babylon. I had a baby. And now you say that we're going to be here for 70 years. You say, my child's never going to get to go to the temple once. And what does Psalm 90 say? Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. We worship God and we raise up our children in the faith because we know that God will be a blessing to them. Maybe more of a blessing to him than than we see. Maybe during those 400 years in Egypt, they had to look forward to what God would do for their children and not see it here on earth. Let them see your glory. Let them see your glory. You see, the children of Adam are under a curse, but these are the children of the second Adam. Brothers and sisters of Christ Jesus. The first three books of the Psalter, the answer to Israel's continual sin was, we need a man, we just need a champion. If we could just have a king... God would love the king. He could be the apple of God's eye and the king would be a champion for us and we would be okay if we trusted in the king. But that project in book one and two and three fails. The promise seems broken. A human king wasn't enough. And in the face of the seemingly broken promise, the failure of the line of David, Psalm 90 and book four go back to the promise. They go back to Moses and they say, this is how you worship God without a king. Because... In verse Psalm 93 through 100, the Lord reigns. The Lord is your king. He's a judge. He's gracious. He's kind. Psalm 92, we are not grass withering away, but we are once again a palm tree growing like a cedar planted in the house of the Lord, flourishing in the courts of our God. They bear fruit in old age, ever full and sap and green. They declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. Teach us the fear of the Lord. Teach us to weigh and number our days. And with Peter, we can wait and hasten for the coming day of the Lord. When a new heavens and a new earth come in which righteousness dwells, we will no longer be an obstacle to God's spirit of holiness, which will make us shine like stars in the sky. Let us pray. Lord, the first rule of wisdom is get wisdom. We need your wisdom. Not the wisdom of this world, not the wisdom of our broken hearts, 
trying to make the best of a truly bad situation. But we need the wisdom of your beauty and your grace and your glory and your steadfast love. We thank you that Moses turned you from wrath to mercy. That you took pity on Israel. We thank you that you took pity on us in Christ and sent him to die in our place. That we might yet live Not 88 years, not 4,576 weeks. But that we might live forever praising your holy name. Amen and amen.